This is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 10 o'clock a.m. Central Daylight Time. It is the uh, 30th of March, 2020. This is episode 224 of Bitcoin, and Jimmy says, happy Sunday. Hope everyone is keeping your loved ones socially distant, but emotionally close to your heart. That's Jimmy Wynn, of course, president of the Bitcoin Association and long-standing BSV bag holder. Uh, Val Val Friedman has something to say. to uh, Jimmy here says, Jimmy, we've been trying to serve you with a subpoena in Cleman V. Right, we tried your house and your email. Will you accept service via Twitter? And so they're serving Jimmy Win or Yugen or however you pronounce this idiot's name with a subpoena over Twitter. Never seen that done before, but yeah. So uh, <clears throat> to continue on with that little nugget right let's get into this one from trevor smith writing sometime this morning for the bitcoinist the quest for the bitcoin association president continues as the law firm representing david Clemens estate reaches out to jimmy Wynn on twitter on sunday attorney val friedman replied to one of Wynn's tweets noting that the firm had repeatedly been unable to serve him with a subpoena related to the case uh, against Craig Wright by Ira Kleeman. Next, by David Kleeman, but whatever. And then they give the tweet here that, that I just read you. The subpoena, which uh, dates to February the 11th, calls on Wynn to produce all communications with Wright, as well as several of Wright's known associates and businesses. Specifically, it states Wynn must produce, quote, all communications with Craig Wright concerning any of David Kleeman, uh, W&K Info, Defense Research, LLC, Ira Kleeman, Satoshi Nakamoto, Any Tulip Trust, Dennis Mayaka, a bonded courier. <clears throat> That's that I am lawyer guy, by the way. Abacus Offshore, Equator Consultants, the Australian Tax Office, Stephen Matthews, <laughs> Robert McGregor, Calvin Eyre, Uyen Wynn, or Craig Wright Companies, end quote, Wynn or however you pronounce his name, has made numerous posts over the past few weeks indicating that he has been actively promoting BSV and attending cryptocurrency-related events, yet is nowhere to be found when compelled by the courts to cooperate in legal proceedings. One possible twist on the ongoing saga may be Wynn's reluctance to discuss his involvement with Scottish novelist Andrew O'Hagan. O'Hagan asserts that Wynn approached him about writing a book about Satoshi Nakamoto in his book, The Secret Life, Three Stories of the Digital Age. O'Hagan, or O'Hagan, writes, quote, a few weeks before the raid on Craig Wright's house when his name still hadn't been associated with Satoshi Nakamoto, I got an email from a Los Angeles lawyer called Jimmy Wynn. Wynn told me that they were looking to contact contract me to write the life of Satoshi Nakamoto, In quote. O'Hagan 
has previously discussed his dealings with Wright, noting the extreme discomfort of the so-called creator of Bitcoin had in providing details about his role in developing the platform, the writer has now been asked to testify in the trial. Ooh, <laughs> yeah, buddy. The estate of David Kleeman is suing Wright for, uh, for what they claim is their share of 1.1 million Bitcoin. They claim the two men jointly mined during the early days and blah, blah, blah. They, they give a basic rundown of what the, the case is about. But if you've been following, if you've been listening to the show for any time, length of time whatsoever, you know what that case is about. So there's no reason to get into it. However, oh my God. So Jimmy gets served a subpoena over Twitter. God, I, like I said, I've never seen that before. I'm sure it's probably been done, but oh, the lulls. The, honestly, this should have been a train wreck, but I've already got a couple of them in the, in the pile here. So uh, I figured I'd just go ahead and start, start the week out right, bro. Starting the week out right with, with Jimmy Wynn. Famous BSV bag holder. Oh my God. Okay. So what to say about this? Well, it's, I don't know. It, it is a little bit ludicrous and I hate to say it. Okay. But there's a couple of bag, BSV bag holders that obviously are going to reply and try to tear down the, the Vell for uh, reaching out to Jimmy on Twitter for service. Um, honestly, there. You know, there's a couple of people, a couple of bag holders are that are correct. They're like, dude, really? He announces where he's going to be all the time and you have to serve him over Twitter? Sounds kind of like a stunt. You know, things to that effect is, is what's being said in, in rebuttal to this uh, this thing. I, you know, I don't know what to say about that because I don't know what, what Wynn's habits is. But, I mean, honestly, if the guy's going to be on stage at a particular place and he says what time he's going to be there you can serve you can serve at that point um so i don't know what this is all about is it a stunt i don't know man i i think it's possible jimmy just may be that squirrely he may be able to enter and exit a stage without anybody know knowing where he's going to actually physically be because you got to be standing you know you've got to be like within you know, handing a piece of paper distance within, you know, for the guy to actually be served when you're serving somebody with a subpoena. So I don't know, but I, honestly, I thought it was a hell of a way to start out the Monday show. <clears throat> Continuing with idiocy, Overstock Accelerator plots expansion of farming blockchain. Frank Cardona's writing this sometime on the 27th for Decrypt.co. The Overstock.com-backed accelerator Medici Ventures has invested in getting more farmers to trade commodities on Grain Chain's blockchain. (laughs) There's a lot of this today, so just strap in, guys. There's a blockchain for everything these days, including grains. But this one is less about verifying the provenance of your morning oatmeal and more about distributing those whole grains efficiently. Medici Ventures, a blockchain accelerator owned by internet retail company Overstock.com, announced a global expansion of agritech blockchain company Grain Chain through a partnership with Symbian's Enterprise Blockchain Network. Earlier this month, Medici Ventures announced it had purchased over $5 million in equity from Grain Chain as part of an 8.2 dollar funding round for the project. Honestly, they actually say $8.2. Not million, not billion, not hundreds of thousands, just 
8.2. Let's go with $8.2 million funding round for the project. I'm, I'm just going to throw that out there as a possibility. <clears throat> Grain Chain, which has been around since 2013, really, says that 1,284 farmers in the United States, 870 in Mexico, and 12,000 in Honduras. Ooh currently use as smart contracts. I'm going to call bullshit on that Honduran thing. The blockchain aims to allow farmers and buyers to streamline payments and exchange commodities with minimal friction. Quote, the seller or farmer is able to receive immediate payment to the commodity they delivered, a process that used to take weeks, CEO Louis Marcius told Decrypt. Continuing the quote, any third-party participants such as lenders can also be added to the smart contract to receive direct payments for loans. Finally, the buyer attains a clear title to the delivered commodity as soon as the payment is complete. Medici Ventures Investment can help scale that up. The outfit said with Symbian's enterprise blockchain grain chain will be able to increase the number of farmers, buyers, and grain elevators using its products. Mossius, or probably Mashes, pointed to the need for grain chain across Central and South America and said the company plans for further expansion in Mexico, Honduras, Peru, and Brazil. I guess we're going to get some of that good quinoa out of Peru there. Uh, This isn't the first time Overstock and Medici have backed a food product blockchain in 2018. They promoted Vinex, now Vincent, a wine futures blockchain trying to disrupt the middleman heavy wine industry. Overstock delved into blockchain projects under the leadership of former CEO Patrick Byrne, or uh, Byrne, a Bitcoin evangelist and apparently a crazy MFer, right? Because that dude is was clearly off his rocker at the end. But even after Byrne's departure last year, they're not stopping current Overstock CEO and Medici Ventures President Jonathan Johnson, <laughs> told Decrypt, are Kiritsu interlocked companies are introducing blockchain technologies to industries such as identity, land governance, money and banking, capital markets, supply chain, and voting. Yay! And if it puts more commodities and food products on a blockchain, it's not hard to imagine your butcher being next. Oh, wait, there's a blockchain for that too. Of course there is, because there's a blockchain for just about every stupid thing under the sun. I'm serious. There is no reason to put bananas on the blockchain. Uh, I'm not going to get into why. Uh, I've said it on several occasions. There's no reason to say it again, except except to say this. If your blockchain does not produce the token of value that in it in and of itself secures, then it's worthless. Because the only other way to get information to protect into said blockchain is for humans to put it there or by action of humans to make sure that an automated system is built to put it there. In either way, that is the weakest link you will have in that chain. I expect full-blown lying to become self-evident. So, there you go. Ethereum is saved! Oh, wait a minute. Hold on for a sec. I might have messed that up. Hold on. Yes, sir. I messed that up. Opera becomes first major browser to integrate .crypto domain extension, Anna Alexandra. Writing for Cointelegraph sometime this morning, Opera now enables users to access decentralized web pages through a partnership with Unstoppable Domains, a tech firm backed by prominent Bitcoin advocate Tim Draper. 
The collaboration entails Opera's integration of unstoppable domains dot crypto domain extension, according to an announcement shared with Cointelegraph on March the 26th. This will allow the browser's users to surf decentralized websites as well as make cryptocurrency payments. As the announcement further explains, blockchain domains are stored by the owner instead of the registrar firms, and decentralized websites are stored on peer-to-peer networks, not cloud services. This makes it imp- or this makes it possible to conduct transactions without a middleman, as well as avoid censorship. Unstoppable domains told Cointelegraph that the development will affect the speed of the internet connection as, over time, a distributed network is more robust has far better uptime, and will reduce the risk of incidents like DDoS attacks. Unstoppable Domains noted that while decentralized domains can help people avoid censorship from the publishing side, they do little to aid viewers in jurisdictions that face censorship, surveillance, and de-anonymization issues. Quote, Just as with current web, if users are facing those types of issues, they would need to use VPNs or a similar tool. Decentralized websites solve a user's ability to publish. It's on the publishing side rather than on the viewing side. Right now, you can't publish using a traditional domain registrar if you're in a place that is limiting free speech, whereas with decentralized website tools, you could. So it's about the publishing and not the viewing, end quote. The development ostensibly marks the first time A mainstream browser has integrated a domain that is not part of the traditional domain name system. Last October, Opera also became the first major browser that allows making payments with Bitcoin directly inside the browser. Meanwhile, Unstoppable Domains has rolled out its own blockchain-based browser, oh God, to simplify access to the decentralized web. Unstoppable Domains websites are stored in a user's wallet while the content is stored on the interplanetary file system or other decentralized storage networks. What do I think about this? Hell, I don't know. It sounds cool, but, you know, bananas on the blockchain sound cool to the uninitiated. Honestly, though, this doesn't doesn't strike me to the point that my gut starts doing backflips, and I usually listen to my gut, and my gut feeling isn't turning backflips right yet. Okay, so... Now, is it good? Oh, hell, I don't know. I I literally don't know. One thing about decentralized stuff is that uh, it's definitely not going, it's probably not going to increase speed. Okay, that's one of the issues that we have to wrap our heads around with decentralized things, right? It's, we're sacrificing speed and immediate delivery and speed of delivery for the decentralized all the things ideal, okay? Um, Now, will it always be that way? Oh, hell, I don't know. Shit, I'm not a developer, so I don't know. But one thing that I do know is that everything that's decentralized so far has a tendency to take a little bit longer. Now, if you have, if you're a situation where you're a human with a very low or a very high time preference all the time, which means that you just can't wait, you are impatient like a son of a bitch, then this is probably not going to, you know, this isn't going to help probably. But other than that, again, my gut's not doing backflips, so we'll have to wait and see on that particular one. Ethereum mining, now here we go. Uh, saved, bro. Ethereum mining is now saved. Bitmain updates Antminer E3 firmware. An update to one of the oldest miners in the world, Anatol 
Anna Tavinci is writing this sometime today for Bitcoinist.com. Ethereum miners no longer need to worry about Antminer's E3 obsolescence coming next month as Bitmain has released a firmware update earlier today. On Monday, Beijing-based mining equipment manufacturer Bitmain announced that it had updated the firmware of the Antminer E3. Hooray, bro! This will allow Ethereum miners to continue using the machine without being afraid of its obsolescence. Bitmain pointed to recent media reports according to which the equipment or uh, so according to which the equipment, that's a, I'm sorry, let's try this one again. That's a bad sentence. Bitmain pointed to recent media reports according to which the equipment, which was designed specifically for mining Ethereum and Ethereum Classic, will stop being relevant by next month. Jeez, par, you can parse that son of a bitch how you will, uh, but we all get the gist, but my God, that was kind of rather painful, wasn't it? <coughs> The allegations were based on hash rate output projections made by altcoin mining pool operator to miners. The miner stressed that the recent decline in the hash rate output of the equipment would make it obsolete by April. In a blog post published at the end of February, two miners presented its disappointing conclusions. The miner said that the Ant Miner E3 had already stopped mining ETC. Quote, or when it addressed a, a request to Bitmain, the Chinese company re- replied, quote, sorry for your inconvenience. We got the confirm from technical department. E3 Miner is a 4G video card. E3 is related to ETH algorithm and DDR capacity is up to the upper limit. So E3 will not be able to continue mining. The meaning is E3 can only mine to January 2020, then will not mine again. Oh, joy. It took less than three weeks for Bitmain to fix this issue and update the Ethereum mining firmware. While this update ensures Ethereum miners can continue using the AntMiner E3 after April, it is not clear how long that will last. The company said that the final block height of the E3 is 11,400,000, which means mining can continue until October of 2020. The new firmware fixed uh, the issue with growth of directed acyclic graph files, which narrowed the capability of the equipment to minor ETH or ETC. This has been achieved by expanding the usage of double date rate memory as more space is required to process the DAG file. So what does this mean? It means if you're holding a bag of shit that is absolutely, it's it's necessary to secure that bag of shit with obsolete freaking firmware that needs to be, or, mach, or hardware machines that need to be upgraded by a firmware blast every once in a while, then that bag of shit is probably something you need to offload. That does, this does, uh, this does not sound to me like it's good news at all. I mean, honestly, if you can't afford the new miners, then there may be something wrong with the value of the chain that you're mining. You know, in, in Bitcoin, everybody's already up to the S9, not everybody, but there are so many people that are us to the S19s. And then when they shut down the old S7s and S9 amp miners, it doesn't seem to make people cry. Well, this was seeming to make people cry. I don't know. There's a, this one does make my gut flip. Um, now, the good news part about this, this reminds me of the, the story of the Voyager 1, Voyager 2, deep space probes, and any number of interplanetary probes that were sent out where shit was fixed, 
with firmware to do things that it was never meant to do. The, the power of the human, the, the human's capacity to be able to just invent shit on the fly has never ceased to amaze me. It will never cease to amaze me. And this type of thing will probably happen. I, I don't know. Could you think about it this way? Let's say a third party decided that they were going to be able to really optimize an old S7 amp miner and get it back to where it could uh, mine some Bitcoin. So all of a sudden, what happens if that, if that were to occur? Now, you don't need it. See, there, there's a difference between what I'm saying, suggesting in the future and what's going on here. These people need this shit to occur. They are dependent, absolutely freaking dependent upon this thing occurring. Otherwise, it's just not very interesting, apparently, mining ETH or, God forbid, ETH Classic. Not, not that ETH Classic is worse. It's just, it just reminds us all of, of the, the, Dow, uh, the Dow hack. I won't go into it. But in either event... What happens if you've got a situation where you, instead of just throwing out your old uh, ant miners, you just stockpile them and then one day Bitman goes, oh, by the way, if you want to, you know, for the next few months, we've got a firmware upgrade or, or a third party says, hey, we've developed a firmware upgrade that, that does something that makes shit more efficient. And then all of a sudden, a whole bunch of S7 and S9 miners come back online to mining Bitcoin. Could you imagine what would happen to the freaking hash rate? Oh my God, it'd be, you'd be looking at like seven minute blocks, which is not good, but it, eh. anyway, you see what I'm saying? The ingenuity of the human spirit never, never ceases to amaze me, which is why I don't really freak out all the time when something weird like Corona happens, right? Riot Blockchain says coronavirus outbreak might hurt crypto mining farms. So let's let's get into this one. Uh, this was written today for CoinDesk by Danny Nelson, the Nasdaq listed rig builder, revealed its concerns in its annual 10K report with the Securities and Exchange Commission filed Wednesday. Such reports always include a general risks section detailing worst case business scenarios this year. Riot added two pandemic-specific subsections to discuss COVID-19. Riot blockchain is getting thrashed by the response to COVID-19. The general risk section shows its workers are being quarantined and going into self-isolation while its supply chain is seizing up under broader restrictions and factory closures, according to the filing. It is also... Sorry, hold on. It also has the unwanted label of being a non-essential business. According to the 10K, Riot has not been classified as an essential business in any of the jurisdictions that have decided that issue to date. That potentially cuts off uh, access to Riot's offices and mining rigs. Ooh, that's not good. Quote, if we are unable to effectively service our miners, our ability to mine Bitcoin will be adversely affected as miners go offline. End quote, Riot wrote. Riot's concerns ex- echoes issues concerning. Oh, sorry, sorry. Let's try that again. Riot's concerns echo issues Chinese mining farms faced nearly two months ago in early February. Panda miner, Chief Operating Officer Abe Yang told CoinDesk his company had difficulty operating some of its farms due to the quarantine controls in certain provinces because they had limited staff repairing machines and running the hardware. 
At present, Riot's Oklahoma City operation features 4,000 Bitmain S17 Pro amp miners purchased over December 2019 for $6.35 million total, according to two press releases issued at the time. Those rigs replaced Riot's older fleet of about 8,000 S9 models now offline the 10K shows. The catastrophic business ramifications of COVID-19 are hardly unique to Riot blockchain. Nearly every business is facing an existential threat that only four months ago would have sounded absurd. It's an open question where all this will lead. Riot admits that the pandemic's sweeping nature makes it next to impossible to predict the long-term impact. One thing is certain, though, quote, if not resolved quickly, the impact of the novel coronavirus global pandemic could have a material adverse effect on our business. Okay, so this is really kind of interesting when the ramifications start being looked at fairly, fairly severely. Let's look at it this way. Let's say that Let's say that you are a miner in one of your mining facilities, let's say, you know, in Oklahoma City, or, or, or better yet, let's say what, let's say out here in West Texas. And we have like, you know, abundant natural gas that we're getting for free because we are like, you know, flare mitigating uh, uh, on Texas, Texas oil fields. So that's, that's the, the term that, that is used is mitigation of flare gas. So we're getting our shit for free. We got a whole bunch of stuff, you know, a whole bunch of like uh, containers, you know, shipping containers filled with mining and air conditioning rigs and uh, uh, natural gas generators that take natural gas or electricity. And then we've got an internet connection and they're spotted, dotted all around the West Texas and maybe Eastern New Mexico. Okay. If it's if it's labeled as a non-essential business and you can't get to them and those miners start popping off like going offline because I don't know a circuit breaker throws it got struck by lightning and needs to go get serviced I just you know pick your freaking poison what happens to the hash rate let's let's say that we're a substantial part of the Bitcoin hash rate let's say that that I've got a company that does flare mitigation and somehow I built that son of a bitch to represent ten percent of the world's Bitcoin mining, uh, mining resource. And my shit starts popping offline and I can't go, I can't go because I'm under quarantine and no, none of my workers are able to get in their car and leave to go do the physical things that need to be done to those, to those things. Hash rate starts to go down. Oh my God. Coronavirus. It's a biting, it's a biting catastrophe, bro. No, it's not. You know, that's why we have the difficulty level. Because as the algorithm in all the nodes and all the, you know, running the software starts to sense that we have really long block times, what happens? And oh, why do we have really long block times? Because we're losing hash rate. As we lose hash rate, block times increase. As block times increase and they stay increased over a set amount of time, an average of a two week period, insofar as how the algorithm determines this shit, then it adjusts the algorithm. It adjusts the difficulty down to match the hash rate with a 10-minute block time. It's amazing the way this shit works. It's what it's it, honestly. It's a it's the simplest things always are the stroke of brilliance. Stroke of brilliance, and the stroke of brilliance is usually the simplest thing. It's not 
a big, long, convoluted Rube Goldberg machine like Ethereum is, right? It's the simplest thing, and that is why I Bitcoin also. Um, how are these guys going to get <clears throat> going to get to their thing? Are that and here's one of the things that I wonder about, like uh, Chinese companies that are mining in non-China countries, uh, and those countries have you know some kind of uh, you know quarantine or something where the workers can't get to the mining thing. China is not you know the greatest oh friend of humanity. So I wonder if it'll do if they'll do, start doing something like making their workers sleep and live at the mining facility and they just airdrop them food via drone. It would not, I'm saying it wouldn't surprise me, but that's apparently how bad this shit is getting. Um, and also, you know, the fact that <clears throat> we're, uh, Bitcoin mining is not declared as essential. That should come as no fucking surprise, right? So if you're, if you're tearing up over the fact that Bitcoin mining and Bitcoin itself as an infrastructure has been determined to be non-essential. If you're surprised about that, I feel bad for you. It's, you should not feel bad. You should not be surprised about that. Not, not one iota, but let's move, let's move on. Um, <clears throat> let's talk a little bit about the steam it. And I know that you guys don't like talking about shit coins or shit forks or stupid decentralized stuff, but the steam it debacle, um, really does represent a case study in well in not only in shit coinery and why decentralization is probably or decentralization through proof of stake is a little bit problematic um but you know it's it's just something it's something to watch that i think again it doesn't make my gut churn so because of that i i I think that there may be something here, but let, let's do this one from decrypt.co's Liam Frost writing sometime on March the 28th. Community-led fork of Steemit is outperforming its predecessor. Hive, a hard fork of decentralized social network Steam, is already outperforming its parent blockchain. Imagine if the Facebook community got so sick of Mark Zuckerberg that they decided to copy the code for the site then run a version of it for themselves. And imagine if the new site outperformed Facebook within a week, despite Zuckerberg's billions. That story played out in blockchain world this week when the token of Hive, a community-led fork of blockchain-based social network site Steemit, outperformed its ancestor. Just a week after the launch of Hive, the platform's native currency is already worth about twice as, twice as much as those of the blockchain network that houses Steemit which is still mired in controversy after its bungled acquisition by the flamboyant CEO of Tron, Justin Sun. On March the 27th, Hive tokens peaked at around 33 cents, according to Cryptometrics site CoinGecko. At the same time, Steam's price hovered at roughly 16 cents, almost half of that. While the gap narrowed on Saturday, Hive is still outperforming Steam. The tokens are trading at $0.25 cents and $0.15 cents respectively. Notwithstanding the price bump, Hive <clears throat> still has a ways to go to reach the volume of the Steam blockchain. Hive's trading volume reached a little over $90,000 over the past 24 hours, dwarfed by Steam's $3.2 million, according to data from CoinGecko. Steam it... <clears throat> was acquired by blockchain network Tron in February, yet many users didn't trust the new owner. 
Tron Foundation CEO Justin Sun. When Sun bought Steemit, he was entitled to around $12 million worth of pre-mined tokens on the network, an estimated 20% of the total supply of Steam that allowed him to steer the blockchain's direction. Sun's grand plan was to <clears throat> migrate Steam tokens to the Tron blockchain. <clears throat> to curb Sun's authority, the community voted in favor of a soft fork that prevented him from using his newly acquired tokens. In return, Sun called those who voted against him malicious hackers who had violated the sanctity of private property. Things came to a head when Sun asked major crypto exchanges, including Binance and Huobi, to help him revert the lockup. Crypto exchanges have an immense amount of influence on the network, which is why we Bitcoin, which, is, which they use to help Sun overthrow the democratically elected leaders of the network and replace them with Tron-controlled sock puppet accounts. Ooh, it sounds like a bag holder right in this one. Binance and Huobi later reversed their decision, and the community rallied to topple Sun's sock puppet accounts. But in the end, some users had enough of Sun and launched Hive, a hard fork of Steam that duplicated the network as a standalone chain. Perhaps they realized that the wealth-based arms race against the incredibly rich Justin Sun was pointless. When Hive launched, it let people migrate their Steam tokens to the network, but it didn't let any of Sun's supporters migrate their accounts. And Sun couldn't move his pre-mined coins over to Hive either. This is bad. As the community-led network gets traction... The Justin Sun-led Steemit is trying to win users' trust back to slow down the exodus. In a recent blog post, it promised to put governance back in the hands of the community as soon as possible, <laughs> which means as soon as it suits us, and that it is committed to Steam for the long term and plans to bring more value to Steam than ever before, end quote. The company has acknowledged it was censoring posts related to the Hive hard fork. Quote, would any commercial website support a post that encourages all users to migrate to another one? No, that would not be in the best interest of the community and the Steam ecosystem. The post read, defending the company's actions. Hive's price boom suggests that the community is unconvinced by Sun's big business brain. Yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> so, Steam. Oh, what is there anything to even to say about this? Uh, I think it's I think it's funny, and I also think that there is you know demonstrably a power of the human spirit again here. You piss enough people off, and they have access to be able to do something about it. They will do it, which leads me to wonder why it is that the population of the planet haven't overthrown all governments all at once yet. Just, I'm just saying. It's not like they're doing anything different than Justin Sun is doing. In fact, they're doing a they're doing a lot worse to us. But be that as it may, <clears throat> it looks like the new steam is rolling along. Ah, yeah, get it? Ah, never mind. Let's do vitals. Let's start this off with some of the major indices given to us by cnbc.com forward slash markets. Everything seems to be up. <clears throat> uh, the S&P 500 is up 2.2%. NASDAQ is up 2.6%. The Dow Jones is up 2%. FTSE is up about 1%. So, and I don't know, I'm kind of like looking at, at the uh, S&P chart right here. And I'm wondering if a, if a circuit breaker, like a halt 
order came or something like that because I've just got a flat line going on for, I don't know, it seems like it's been flatlined for like an an hour. I don't know. Well, maybe it's just a maybe it's just an API call that's failed on CNBC.com's market uh, website. But the bonds, uh, everything is down except for the United States three month <clears throat> is uh, showing a positive gain. It's at zero point zero seven. The German Bund is never going to be positive. It's still negative zero point five, despite being up a, a scant. And the Japan 10-year is still in positive territory, but it's yielding 0.009%. God almighty. And oils, uh, as usual, it's taken like a 4.5% plunge. Its last on a barrel was 20 bucks, uh, 20.5. And that goes along with uh, some uh, weird news here now that I heard out of Canada. And I don't have the, the, the news story right in front of me. But I've heard tales uh, that uh, heavy crude out of the uh, the oil sands in Canada fell to like five bucks a barrel. I have yet to be able to confirm that, but dude, that's <laughs> that ain't cool. Maybe they should have built that pipeline. Huh? Well, okay, so Bitcoin is chilling out at six thousand three hundred and sixty four. We've got a high, looks like it's going to be over at hit BTC at 6,414. And it looks as if our low is going to be over at GDAX at 6,000. No, no, our uh, coins bit is going to be our low at 6,297. So a fair spread. <clears throat> 250,000 transactions were made in the last 24 hours with about 10,500 transactions being made on average per hour. 920,000 BTC were sent in that last 24 hours with 38,343 BTC being sent per hour on average. 3.63 BTC is the average transaction value and the median transaction value is low. My God, is so low. 0.028 BTC or about 170 bucks USD. Block time is stable at 10 minutes and four seconds. And, oh, wait, oh, let's see, uh, 0.15 BTC were taken in fees on a per block basis, and 22 BTC have been taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours. We've had a hash rate increase of 10.5%, bringing us to uh, 104 exahashes per second. Uh, of course, this is according to bitinfocharts.com, so we'll have to see what my node says here in a second. But the last time that nobody did dick on Bitcoin was sometime apparently yesterday. Ethereum at 133, Bcash at 216, BSV at 159, Litecoin at 39, Ethereum Classic is at 5, Dogecoin is at 0.0018. My God, it's like the most stable price I've ever seen in my life is Doge. It's, it's amazing. It doesn't mean go out and buy Doge. It's a shit coin. There's nothing you can do about that. It's a shit coin, but, you know, whatever. Uh, and at 31,000 uh, transactions in the last 24 hours, it matches Ethereum Classic, walks all up and down Litecoin, and blows Bcash out of the water. That's right. Dogecoin transactions top in Bcash. Uh, Bcash only has 26,714. <clears throat> so apparently their vo fake volume has uh, decided to take a break for a while. Uh, this is probably not even not even real volume as it is with 26,000, but 
they usually big bcash usually has like 50 to 60,000 transactions. We know those are fake, but it is what it is, which is also should be said BSV has like, you know, half a million transactions like you know per day. Almost all of that is this weather app transaction that they keep saying or using so that they can say, look at our transactions. Nobody uses the chain, bro. It's a pile of garbage, but you know that, right? Okay, so my node is actually reflecting a 103 exahash per second hash rate with 16 megabytes in the mempool representing about 8,700 unconfirmed transactions. And over the last 10 blocks, all the blocks are full, which for me is between 99.8% full and 100% full. Let's see what's going on with Lightning. Clark Moody Bitcoin, bitcoin.clarkmoody.com, gives us a total capacity in Lightning Network of 927 BTC, representing $5.91 million in liquidity, 6,649 nodes in total, <clears throat> and 36,000 channels in total and let's see 374 btc are wrapped up in the tor side of the network and that gives us a 40.3 percentage of tor holding the total capacity of lightning network the uh, number of tor nodes is 1928 that's gonna do it for vitals Wait for it. Wait for it. Tron launches DJED, or JED, a platform that looks suspiciously like MakerDAO. Oh my god. Tron possibly uh, plagiarizing another project? I'll say it isn't so, my young one, my young Padawan. This is uh, part or round two of the snooze you can use morning roundup. This is out of Cointelegraph's Andre Shevchenko. He's writing sometime this morning about this. On March the 28th, Tron founder Justin Sun tweeted to announce the release of JED, that is spelled D-J-E-D, <clears throat> a system for collateralized loans he describes as something new. <laughs> oh my God, I, you, you just can't make this shit up, dude. Sun teased the launch on January the 16th when Sun let his fans choose the name of a planned decentralized stablecoin that was initially to be backed by TRX and BitTorrent tokens. So one of Tron's, <clears throat> Justin Sun's famous uh, announcements. I guess it's, I wonder if he did it as an announcement of an announcement or just a straight up announcement. You never can tell with, with which way Justin Sun's going to roll, right? Self-described TRX whale and Tron fan Mike McCarty was the one who proposed the name Jed just one hour and a half after Sun's initial tweet. The name is drawn from ancient Egypt and represents the concept of stability. The Jed platform is live under the tronscan.org domain and shows an interface with similarities to several market maker websites, including oasis.app, vote.makerdow.com, cdp.makerdow.com, among others. But while Jed's interface is still reasonably modified, 
The system itself appears to be a clone of the old single collateral die for Maker. <laughs> the principle is the same, uh, though Tron users will be committing TRX collateral to mint USDJ instead of die. The governance token is called JED instead of Maker, and this is spelled J-E-D. You know where this is coming or going, right? Even without looking at the code, the platform resumes many of the terms used within Maker. JED is a lending platform using collateralized debt positions. Users must pay a stability fee as an interest rate on their loan, which is decided via an executive vote helped by assessment of JED's interim risk team. God, why would you do that? Why would you throw any amount of money to something that breeds like that? Users must pay an interest rate on their loan, which is decided via an executive vote helped by assessments of Jed's interim, which means temporary, risk team. Are you insane? Did IQs just drop sharply while I was asleep last night? What the fuck, man? All of these terms are used to describe MakerDAO features as well. Oh, gee, plagiarism, who would have guessed? Though there are superficial similarities, the smart contract code further nails down that Jed is a clone of single collateral die. While the source is available, contract calls on Jed have the same name as Makers, SIA, Proxy Call and Execute, Die Fab, or Fab, Mom Fab, Dad Fab, and many others. Crucially, the Psi name suggests that this is indeed an older version of Die, as it was renamed to Psi after the introduction of multiple forms of collateral. It also would explain why Jed only allows TRX tokens for collateral instead of the promised BTT. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, the Cointelegraph analytics team also identified several flaws with how the implementation interacts with Tron, which they believe were introduced to avoid changing Maker's code as much as possible. They explained that Tron decided to maintain the requirement of wrapping the collateral before creating the proofed version of TRX, even though there is no need to do so for Tron creating an additional crutch. Oh, good God. A pool, I'm sorry, I've read that wrong. A pooled version of TRX, so, sorry. Furthermore, the analytics team believes that the use of the normal account to hold the tub contract described as the, uh, the engine of the CDPs makes the system very opaque. Tron has often been accused of plagiarizing from many other projects. Many allege that its original white paper was copy-pasted from Ethereum. It's not an allege, man. That's a fact. It was copy-pasted from Ethereum and a couple of other projects. Only 10%. I'm sorry, guys. This is the truth. If you, I don't see how you're missing this, but only 10% of the Tron white paper was anywhere close to original, and it was almost unintelligible. Everything else, everything else came from either Ethereum or a couple of other projects. Straight copy-paste, not even word-changing, okay? Straight copy-paste. It was, it's disgusting. Okay, which kicked off a negative perception of the project in many crypto circles, but apparently not negative enough to let the idiots spend all their money on a bag of shit. As reported by Cointelegraph, a recent privacy feature also included mostly unchained Zcash code to handle at least some privacy aspects, notably the trusted setup. However, it was worth noting that JED is a project from TronScan rather than from the Tron Foundation. Generally, though, copying open source code and implementing it is separately is not necessarily construed 
plagiarism, TronScan has not yet claimed that its implementation is unique or was developed in-house. Nevertheless, one wonders how the Tron community plans to catch up to Ethereum and decentralized finance if it simply retraces its steps just over two years later. So, okay. <clears throat> Clearly, they want the name Jedi. That's what they really want. And that would make sense. I mean, from like, you know, from the standpoint of if we really didn't care about plagiarism and stealing other people's ideas, then Jedi would definitely be the way to go, especially if you spelled it J-E-D-A-I. That would be actually a pretty killer name. It, this entire system of, of DeFi, in my opinion, is, is screwed. And I think you're going to lose your money in any one of these systems, even, even the Bitcoin systems. And like, like I said, I'm sorry, but my gut tells me that I've got to warn everybody don't put your money in DeFi. Just don't do it. I, I, now I know some of you probably, you know, do or don't have the problems that I do with this, but man, there's just something about, I, I just can't put my finger on exactly why, but it's probably simply gambling. And the fact that you, you put your keys into the hands of a trusted third party. That's completely against the ethos of what's going on in Bitcoin. Now, you have every right to do that, clearly. Okay, so I'm just saying for, for newbies out there who are thinking, gee, I think I'm just going to do that. At least do a shit ton of research. Okay, at least do that at least look at what's happened in the past. Go all the way back to when this, these things were first proposed. Ask questions on Twitter. People will help you. All right. I'm just saying making loans to other people uh, and handing your keys over to a trusted third party is dangerous. Absolutely dangerous. Okay. So I'm just, I'm just saying, uh, let's get into this one right here. The nine biggest companies fueling Bitcoin's growth. This is Liam Frost writing for Decrypt.co sometime today. These companies have the most developers building out the Bitcoin ecosystem. And here's how Bitcoin developers get funded too. Oh, good. Let's enjoy this together, shall we? Bitcoin futures exchange BitMEX published a research report on March the 28th detailing what organizations are currently funding and supporting the development of the Bitcoin network the most. This research is based on publicly available information and from speaking to certain individuals who were happy with their details being made public, BitMEX noted. According to the data, nine companies have three or more developers contributing to the Bitcoin network. Blockstream and Lightning Labs employ the largest number of developers working on open source Bitcoin or Lightning Network related projects. And there's a graph here that shows all of them. And uh, it shows, you know, how many developers each one of these have. The largest number of developers that I can see on this graph is eight. So Blockstream has eight. Lightning Labs has eight. Square Crypto has seven. And then there's MIT, DCI, Chaincode, Purse, DG Lab, Async, Bitfinex, Zappo, Hardcore Fund, Private Donors, BitMEX, OKCoin, Bitsy, and oh, at the bottom of the list is my favorite guys, Bull Bitcoin. Well, okay, yeah, they're pretty much pretty much my one of my favorite companies at least, right? Blockstream employs two dedicated Bitcoin developers, three Lightning developers, and three cryptographers. In its, in, <clears throat> sorry, in its turn, Lightning Labs has at least eight developers working on the open source Lightning software, Bitcoin's second layer scaling solution. BitMEX noted that the number of employed developers is not a perfect indicator of the overall contribution of the funder. 
because some developers may be employed as part of a full-time staff, while others may have just received some small grants for part-time work. The Bitcoin exchange then attempted to establish where Bitcoin developers secure funding to work on the network. BitMEX identified the top 33 contributors by the all-time number of code commits and tried to trace financing sources to each developer. So independent developers, there are 11. Chaincode has seven, and then there's Blockstream, MIT DCI, DG Lab, Square Crypto, Hardcore Fund, Private Donors, BitMEX, and Zappo coming in last with one. It showed that independent funding is by far the most common source of developer funding. Among established organizations, New York-based Chaincode Labs, financed by its founders Alex Morcos and Suhas Daftuar, proved to be the biggest financial supporters of Bitcoin's development. Top organizations also include Twitter founder Jack Dorsey, Square Crypto, and Massachusetts Institute of Technology Digital Currency Initiative, DG Lab, which was established by blockchain financial services company Digital Garage. As Decrypt reported previously, Square Crypto is continuing to expand its presence in the crypto community. On March the 5th, the firm handed out grants to Bitcoin developers John Attack. Such an awesome name john attack and tankred haas both those names are awesome man the the money will allow them to work full-time on open source projects that benefit the bitcoin network bitmex stated that funding for bitcoin development is in a good place quote we conclude that the situation is more healthy than it had been in the past with respect to the availability of finance transparency and the degree of distribution among financial backers the report said although that's more than can be said for those on BitMEX. I don't know what they're trying to allude to there, and I'm not going to get into it. Let's walk right into some stupid, shall we? Samuel Haig is writing for Cointelegraph sometime on the 28th of March. World Health Organization launches blockchain platform to fight COVID-19. Someone just honestly just... help send help immediately i'm dying of this and it ain't just the freaking virus it's the all the panic and the stupidity around the virus but if you want to flee somebody out of a shitload of cash chances are good you will use a short-term situation to do so especially if said short-term situation scares the living piss out of people Okay, let's do this one. The World Health Organization has partnered on March the 28th with major blockchain and tech companies to launch a distributed ledger technology-based platform for sharing data concerning the coronavirus pandemic. You do not need a distributed ledger technology for this shit. You don't need a blockchain for this shit. What you need is Google Sheets. And and I don't know, some kind of password. I, it's just freaking ridiculous, whatever. The platform, MePasa, is built on top of Hyperledger fabric and seeks to enable early detection of COVID-19 carriers and infection hotspots. Help us all. MePasa has been launched in partnership with technology company IBM, computer firm Oracle, enterprise blockchain platform Hesera, and IT corporation Microsoft. The platform purports to facilitate fully private information sharing between individuals, state authorities, and health institutions. The project cross-references siloed location and health data is... What? It, let me do that one again. The project cross-references siloed location 
and health data is siloed on the platform to glean global insights while ensuring patient privacy, with me, Pasa, describing the platform as a verifiable information highway. <laughs> Stop it, you're stupid. Me, Pasa, is slated to soon host an array of publicly accessible analytics tools, too. According to the project's website, quote, MePasa can help monitor and foresee local and global epidemiological trends and detect likely asymptotic carriers by feeding big data on infection routes and occurrences to powerful AI processors around the world. God, Jesus. A number of national health institutions are also contributing to the project, including the U.S., European, and Chinese Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the Hong Kong Department of Health, the Government of Canada and China's National Health Commission. The coronavirus pandemic has highlighted many of the applications for blockchain technology. On March the 25th, it was reported that the United Arab Emirates Ministry of Community Development is adopting DLT-based solutions for identity verification and the distribution of official documents, allowing customers to securely engage with the MOCD from home. Blockchain technology has also been suggested as the most efficient means. Efficient and blockchain in the same sentence is hilarious. Means through which the United States stimulus package could be distributed with some proponents even proposing that the United States launch a DLT-based digital dollar. China has deployed blockchain in numerous applications to assist its efforts to fight COVID-19 using DLT to track the virus's spread. Medical records and the distribution of medical supplies and charity donations. Oh, God. A Chinese journalist has also used Ethereum to bypass censorship and published an interview with a Wuhan-based doctor on the pandemic. And, oh, my God, it was really difficult to get through that because it's all almost all of that is bullshit. It just is. It just is. It just is. I'm not even going to entertain any more as to why it's bullshit. But this one's kind of interesting. <clears throat> Bitcoin Core shifts to dark web to resist censorship. Now, before you lose your shit on that, okay? Let's, I think the headline from this decrypt.co article by Liam Frost on uh, written today I think we need to sit back and 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 wait for the for the article to come through before you start thinking that the GitHub Bitcoin Core repository is on the dark web. Okay? Just everybody take a breath and chill the hell out. Bitcoin Core updates will now be accessible via the dark web, making the Bitcoin network more resilient. Okay? But chill continue to chill. The Bitcoin Core website is now reachable through the dark web, according to a statement on March the 27th. It will provide a greater level of resistance against censorship. The Bitcoin Core website posts the latest updates to the open source Bitcoin software. Bitcoin Core is maintained by a large group of developers. After frequent requests, this site is now reachable as a Tor hidden service through an Onion address, the post stated, adding as well as adding another means of censorship resistance, a hidden service gives an alternative trust path that doesn't rely on certificate authorities nor DNS infrastructure, end quote. Certificate authorities check that websites are genuine while the DNS infrastructure is what connects IP addresses to domain names such as www.bitcoincore.org. By making the site accessible via the dark web, 
it becomes less reliant on these technologies. The dark web is a segment of the internet not indexed by traditional search engines. On the most basic level, this means that you can't find or visit a dark website unless you know its exact URL address. The dark web can be accessed via the Tor browser. While the dark web is most commonly associated with illegal activities such as buying and selling drugs, it can be used for legitimate purposes. In October 2019, the British Broadcasting Company made its website available to Tor users last October by providing a dark web copy. This made its content available in Vietnam, China, and Iran, <clears throat> where it was being censored. However, the dark web can be risky to use. As Decrypt reported last year, malicious actors have used the Onion Network to steal Bitcoin funds from unsuspecting users. All right, I wish that they got into a little bit more detail about that, but what what seems to be happening is that a copy of all the core code updates are being made available on the Bitcoin Core website's dark web version alongside their regular uh, light web version, if that's even a term to be used. Uh, personally, I like it. <clears throat> I like anything on the dark web because it really pisses people who live on censorship and pointing, you know, do all the people that finger wag, especially like Bible thumpers hate them and believe and, and I'm a Christian. Okay. It's not like I'm a atheist or anything like that, but I hate Bible thumpers. Can't stand them. Most of them don't know what the hell the Bible actually says yet. They will stand there and tell you how you are a sinner and how you suck all the time because of X, Y, and Z. And I'll, you know, generally speaking, half the time, all I can really say is, dude, did you actually read this thing? Especially like the New Testament? Anyway, so I think this is good. I think the more copies that we have of an updated Bitcoin Core repository, the better. A couple of, it was either a couple of years ago or uh, coming up on a couple of years. Um, I think it was BitMEX Research uh, forked the GitHub uh core repository <clears throat> and they did not fork it for malicious intent. What they forked it for was to keep a complete and separate uh, repository of all the things that had happened to the code, plus the updated code as it was on that day. And from what I understand, what they do is they continue to add all the updates from Bitcoin core to their forked version of the Bitcoin repository. So they don't depend on uh, the uh, GitHub core repository, because if one day Microsoft, who owns GitHub, if they decide to just make make uh, get the GitHub core repository go away, all the people who go who will point at us and, and laugh and will say, "See, that's not very decentralized," and and all your money just went poof, and we'll just be looking at them, understanding that they just don't have any understanding of how this shit works. The more repositories, the better. The more silos, the better. The, the more connections between those silos that do not depend on one silo, oh, I don't know, giving away the location of another silo is good. Okay, that It's sort of like having five cups of water <clears throat> all linked together by a straw so that the level of one equals the level of all. If you've ever done that experiment when you were a kid, it's actually kind of fun to do with, with children. So just just saying. Um, now this says uh, this uh, this says BBC. Never mind. I'm 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 reading. I'm a little confused about something. It mentions the BBC 
in the tab, but it's really Bitcoin Core. And I'm wondering if they if the tab is referring to BBC, the network, or if Bitcoin Core is referred to as BBC. And I've never heard that before, so I don't think it is. But again, even the BBC has used the dark web for uh, purposes of good. So all of you people who think that the dark web is just for child pornography and drugs, just stop. Honestly, Microsoft files patent application for crypto mining system powered by human activity. Now, before we get into this, I want to remind everybody that a long time ago, I had the idea of opening up a gymnasium and all, and it wasn't a free lift. So if you were going to go dead or, you know, do deadlifts on free weights, you, you were not coming to my, to my gym. Okay. Um, cause my plan was to have it all by machines, like, you know, your, your general, like Cybex stuff or, you know, whatever, you know, actual machines, no, no free weights and free weight enthusiasts. Sorry, but I couldn't make it work. Uh, the following work with free weights, or at least I don't think I can all the machines, all the weighting, like instead of like, if you're going to choose five pounds, 10 pounds, 15 pounds, you know, the stack of weights. Instead of choosing a stack of weights that was power that was uh, powered by gravity resistance, which is what's going on there, it was actually the cables went all the way through the floor, and then you had like either a keypad that you would sh- you know say what what weight you wanted, but that cable would be linked to an AC electric generator, and depending on how much weight you wanted on there, another coil or another like each generator would actually be about five or 10 pounds worth of resistance because there is resistance when you if you try to spin the the flywheel uh, or get a flywheel and connect it to the axle of an ac generator and spin that son of a bitch yes there's resistance okay that's how we get like you know how we get electricity without getting all into the weeds of how electric generation works but if you wanted 10 pounds or like let's say just five pounds like a single five pound um the clutch on a single five pound AC generator would activate. If you wanted 20, like let's say a hundred, a hundred pounds, 10 clutches on 10 AC generators would be activated. So you would be getting all of that resistance. So you'd be spinning that particular flywheel in, a, in, in that direction every time that you lifted. And then when, you know, when the thing came down, something else would occur that would cause that resi- that gravity to be used to, keep the flywheel moving in the same direction. Okay. I don't want to get into all the mechanics of it, but the whole deal was, is that you could go in and you could mine Bitcoin. And maybe if, if like you did so much work that your like metrics came out as like being on top for that month as to how much human labor that you put into the Bitcoin mining network, maybe your monthly fee was waived because we were mining so much Bitcoin that it would cause, anyway, you see my point. Let's see what Microsoft's idea for this entire thing is, because I don't think it's the same. Patty Baker is writing this for Coindesk uh, sometime this morning. Microsoft has proposed a system that can mine cryptocurrencies using data collected from humans as they exercise or read an advertisement. In a patent application filed with the World Intellectual Property Organization, the WIPO, Thursday, the American computer giant said sensors could detect activity associated with specific tasks, such as time spent viewing ads, and convert it into computer-readable data to solve computational problems. 
in much the same way as a conventional proof-of-work system. Quote, instead of massive computation work required by some conventional cryptocurrency system, data generated based on the body activity of the user can be a proof-of-work and therefore a user can solve the computationally difficult problem unconsciously, the patent application reads. Yeah, good luck with that, pal. The system could use physical exertion to mine cryptocurrencies. Sensors could detect when the body is doing a physical task, such as a faster pulse, and use that data to unblock or unlock blocks. Scanners connected to the head could even use brain waves, signals sent out during mental exertion, like reading this article, to mine for cryptocurrencies. Microsoft says the system could be used to incentivize users to perform certain tasks. Scanners can detect activity from certain kinds of tasks, such as mental concentration when reading an advert that can verify blocks and reward the users of cryptocurrencies. Mom said, help, this hurts. In late 2017, a Netherlands-based company explored whether humans producing enough energy to mine cryptocurrencies. Their test results uh, found body heat from 37 people collected over a couple of hours produced enough energy, oh my God, for a computer to mine continuously for just over eight days. Although Microsoft designed the system, it is unclear whether the company is moving forward on actually creating it. It is also not clear whether the protocol would run off a fork of an existing protocol or based on a whole new blockchain entirely. Microsoft suggests in its patent application that the system would be fully centralized. You know what that last part said? Let's read that one again. Test re- their test results found that body heat from 37 people collected over a couple of hours produced, produced enough energy for a computer to mine continuously for just over eight days. Body heat combined with a form of fusion is all the machines needed to destroy the civilization as we know it. But we're pretty sure certain that we're the ones that torched the sky. Now, that entire exchange is not word for word, but it's the explanation that uh, uh, Morpheus gives Neo in the Matrix as to what the hell's going on with machines because they're harvesting humans for energy. That's why they're called copper tops. And that's a good name for it. This is actually, this kind of sends chills up my spine. Will it happen? I don't know. Probably not. Because this is just fucking stupid, but you know, fucking stupid has gotten us in trouble uh, just alongside you know, paths paid with good intentions to have. So, but again, you this is a hundred percent ridiculous. It's, it's the labor, it's the physical labor to produce the electricity that is then converted into hashing power that un the unlocks blocks. That's proof of work. My reading a magazine article is not proof of work. It's proof that I'm probably stupid. Because I had to read this one. And I'm sure that, who wrote this? I'm sure that Patty Baker is a fine individual. Honestly, absolutely certain You know that Patty is, is a fine human being. However, this was still written on, on a computer and published and Microsoft and all the rest of the people involved in this should be freaking ashamed of themselves for even, you know, we'll get into it. Let's just call it quits. Okay. Let's just, let's just call it quits on the snooze you can use 
and we'll be back with the train wreck and something funny. Daily Train Wrecked is brought to you by Zoe J. Dolan. Yep. He says, at what point do we admit the moment for which Bitcoin was created has come and gone? One can only presume that Zoe is referencing the COVID-19 pandemic and all of the financial fallout that it has caused. No, um, it, Bitcoin wasn't, wasn't created for that. It wasn't created for one moment. It was, God, if I have to say it, it, it becomes embarrassing, but Bitcoin was created for all those moments forever. You know, I mean, it's like, it it doesn't necessarily divorce Bitcoin from any kind of possible, I don't know, screw up. I don't know why people think that. I, I, it's, it's as if you say, it's like, hey, this has the potential to do X. And I think it's a really good idea. And then the person you say that to automatically assumes that you mean that it will do X and that everything's perfect. And then when it fails, they point at you and laugh. Or if it does anything different, they point at you and laugh. Or even if they wake up one day from a nightmare, and they have, which has no basis in reality, and they say, well, I had a nightmare, so this must have occurred, and point at you and laugh. Dude, honestly, chill. There's your smoldering pile. Let's get right on into Terrible Joke Corner. Maybe this is too soon, but Dad Says Jokes has this one. Scientists definitively confirmed today that anteaters are incapable of contracting the coronavirus. Apparently, they're filled with antibodies. Somehow or another, I think this joke would have been better with, you know, the spelling of aunt, like your, you know, dad's sister, something like that. Auntie bodies. Um, I don't know. There, there, there's some potential here. This one was pretty good. Uh, and the fact that it's, you know, clearly it's timely because we're all in the midst of being scared out of our minds every single day. Uh, never seen anything like this. And if you're alive today, um, you probably never will see anything like this ever again. This is, I believe, a once-in-a-lifetime deal. However, I'm, I may very well be wrong, but, you know, like I said, this is, I've never seen people panic like this. I've never seen people misallocate resources this this horribly before. I mean, honestly, I, you probably might have wanted to buy food before the toilet paper, because if you have a shitload of toilet paper and no food, you don't need the toilet paper, do you? I'll just leave you with that one, and I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode, and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.